0: I'm going to read from Acts 13, verses 1 through 3 this morning, and then jump over to 1 Corinthians 14. So Acts 13 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul of Tarsus, or Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty-six through 29. Paul writing to the church in Corinth about their worship and gathering together. He says, brothers and sisters, when you come together, Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done in order to build one another up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them speak, excuse me, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. This is God's word. Let me just say a word of prayer. So Lord, we've been exploring what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we're asking God that um, this morning, Lord, you would do um, a new and fresh thing in our hearts, Lord. Um, As your people, Lord, we're constantly called to be turning away from whatever has our gaze And to turn it upon you, Lord, to all of our hope, all of our longing, Lord, would come because, Lord, we've got our eyes fixed on you. And so, Lord, would you do that this morning, Lord, and then would you meet our needs, God? We are needy people, Lord, we are sinful and broken people, Lord, and we are so thankful for your rescue in Jesus, and Lord, we are so thankful for the powerful work of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who continues to apply the work of Jesus to our hearts and our lives. And so do that work in us and through us this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. You can be seated. So if this is your first time uh, joining us here at Refuge, uh, student ministries can be dismissed, by the way. Sorry, always forget to do that. If this is your first time at Refuge, welcome. Uh, We're excited that you're here. And we are, as I said, going through a series called Spirit-Filled. Just exploring what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does life in the Spirit look like uh, for the Christian? What is the Christian's relationship to the Holy Spirit? And um, if you are familiar with church at all, there are kind of two extremes or two different camps on this. One believes that the Holy Spirit is... Uh, kind of just you explore and choose your own adventure and kind of go with whatever feels right. And this has often led to some chaos in the church, some strange things being done. Uh, and this is called the hyper-charismatic movement or hyper-Pentecostal um, view of the Holy Spirit. There's the other side of it that just says the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything uh, in the life of the church today except teach us how to be like Jesus convict us of sin and work obedience in our hearts. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to actually look at the Bible, where we get all of this information anyway, and look at what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. And particularly, we looked at the life of Jesus, because Jesus is the one who has given the Spirit without measure. Uh, he uh, is the Spirit-filled human par excellence. And so we looked at the life of Jesus, and it's super interesting, because when you look at Jesus, he manifests both. He has a life that is set apart for Yahweh. Uh, he's holy. He's, he's different. Uh, he is obedient to the mission that he has been sent on. And yet, there is the supernatural power of the Spirit at work in him. And uh, if you weren't here, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to it. But we talked about how everything that Jesus does, all of his miracles and his earthly work, are not done. As we commonly think as the son of God, the divine Jesus, but they're actually done because he is the spirit filled human. And Jesus is the prototype of what every human is meant to be and what every human will be in the kingdom of God, fully filled with God's spirit under the control of God's spirit. And so we were looking at if, if Jesus is the pattern for our lives, then our life should manifest both holiness. We should be different, distinct, set apart from the rest of the world around us. There should be an obedience to the way of Jesus, to the word of God. And yet there should also be a supernatural power at work in us to do God's kingdom work with God's kingdom power. And so... For two weeks, we looked at that, just kind of the two sides, what it means to have the Holy Spirit work in our lives, from regeneration to being equipped and filled and baptized in this work of holiness, this work of obedience. And then if you were here last week, we talked about the supernatural gifts and ministries and manifestations that the Holy Spirit wants to do. And all of this is coming out of a a heart's desire from um, me and Max and Nikolai to see You, church, enter into the fullness of of what God has for us. See, God has gifted each of us with gifts, services, and also just the spirit in general to erupt through us. So we can minister to one another. We can serve one another. And we talked about how the church is not supposed to be this pyramid, you know, where the pastor or the pastors are at the top and everyone is down at the bottom just kind of doing grunt work. But it, it is a, every member ministry. It is a body like Paul describes it. And every part needs to do it fulfill its purpose or else you have a handicapped body. That's Paul's vision. We don't want to be a handicapped church. We don't want to limit what God wants to do by saying, You leaders do everything, right? We want to experience the fullness of what God has, and that takes every one of us saying, yeah, God, I want to be used, and God, I I want to be ministered to as well, and so this morning what we're going to do is, since we've looked at all of that kind of leading up to this, we're going to talk a a little bit about the Spirit-filled church and what that looks like. I'm going to do a little bit more recap of last week, but We've looked at spirit filled Jesus, spirit filled Christian, spirit filled church. And this is kind of where we're going. So, what does it look like for us to be a spirit filled church? And I talked about this a little bit last week, but I think really what it takes for us, practically speaking, is we need to be prepared and we need to be expectant of God to work and move among us. I read from 1 Corinthians 14 26 through 33. Paul writing to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians are nuts. Okay, let's just get that out there, right? A lot of bad stuff going on in that church. Like there's a guy who's like really proud that he's shacking up with his mother-in-law, right? And that's happening. And then there's like powerful gifts of prophecy and words of wisdom and words of knowledge. So it's a mixed bag. But here's one of these passages where Paul is praising them. Like, hey, this is is good stuff that's happening. But listen to what he says. What then, brothers? Brothers. When you come together, each one has a hymn. Each one has a lesson. Each one has a revelation or a tongue or interpretation. Great. Let everything be done for building up. And we talked about this last week. The purpose of spiritual gifts is for us to be encouraged, to be comforted, to experience God's redemption and the work of the gospel in our hearts. That is the purpose of the spiritual gifts. It's ultimately to bring glory to God. And so Paul mentions that here. But listen to what he's saying. Corinthians, when you get together, everybody has something to say, everybody has something to share, everybody has a perspective, everybody has a word of encouragement, a word of comfort. Great, let all things be done decently in order. The Corinthians had a problem that most churches don't have. Everybody at Corinth came to serve, to speak, and to use their gift. This is God's ideal for the church, that when we come together, everybody is prepared. We talked about this last week. And, I'll, and I just mentioned in the introduction, but the church congregation, we're to think of it more as a theatrical play. Remember, we come wearing our costumes, we come with our lines learned, we come to participate. We come to be co laborers in the work that God wants to do among us. Now, I am one person with one perspective who is studying scripture and And bringing a word of encouragement, a word of direction, a word of vision, a word of comfort from the scripture. That that is only one side of what God wants to do. It's only one side. God wants to speak and minister through all of us. And and the varied ways that he does this. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he tells this fascinating story uh, If you're familiar with C.S. Lewis at all, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote this incredible uh, space trilogy, a sci-fi series as well. But he was part of a group called the Inklings, and Charles um, Williams was part of this, um, and J.R.R. Tolkien was part of this group as well, among others. And C.S. Lewis was always jealous of Charles Williams' relationship with J.R.R. Tolkien, because he just loved J.R.R. R. Tolkien. Like, who doesn't? You know, like, but he was just like in awe of him, just the, the guy's brilliance and able to, you know, build these imaginary worlds. And, you know, he wrote an elvish language. I mean, come on, right? Who wouldn't be in awe? Who isn't in awe of that? Um, and so he's just like, you know, he's got a man crush on J.R.R. Tolkien. And what happens is over time, uh, Charles Williams, they're getting older, Charles Williams dies. And C.S. Lewis, he's like, finally, Charles is out of the picture. I can have Tolkien to myself. And I'm gonna, we're gonna go so deep, we won't get distracted by Charles, and we can go where I wanna go with this thing. And it's so interesting, he says, I thought I would have more of Tolkien, but by losing Charles, I had less of Tolkien. I am not enough to bring out the fullness of this man. And then, he's, and then he takes this to the book of Revelation, and he says, isn't it interesting? It's actually not just mentioned in Revelation, but he says, but around the throne of God, There are multiple cherubim that cry out to one another, holy, holy, holy. It's not just one voice that cries out holy, but it is calling back and forth to one another. And it's it's almost like they're seeing like this side of the glory of God. Holy, holy this side of the glory of God. Holy, and they're telling one another the different perspectives that they see of the glory and majesty of God. And one side isn't enough. It isn't complete for the fullness of God. Likewise, one voice from Scripture declaring the word of the Lord, casting vision is not enough for what God wants to do in our church, in our community it will take every one of us crying out, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And when we do that, we, we, we get a, a bigger, fuller representation of the goodness, majesty, and grace of God. And see, that's, I believe, what the Lord is calling us to do. When we all, you know, when our powers combine, we are Captain Planet. I mean, but like, this is the idea, you know? Like, let's all do the work together and see what God will do in our midst. Let's all come prepared and listen to what God will say to us. So we come prepared because we expect to meet with God, to have an encounter with the living God. We come prepared. We come expectant. Um, Many times, I think our expectations are just too low. And this is probably just the fault of the Western world, just the way we do church. Uh, We have made it a spectator sport, uh, so to speak. And so we come to church, you know, maybe to meet God's word will be taught. God's People, I guess, you know, gosh, they're ugly and messed up, but yes, grace, they'll, you know, God's people will be there, but God himself, will we meet with God himself, will he manifest his presence, but in scripture, this is what the church is called, we are called the temple of the living God, living stones that are being assembled together in order to inhabit the spirit of God that he might work and move among us. And in ancient times, the temple was understood to be the place where heaven and earth came together, where the divine and the human met together. See, that's what God wants to do when we gather together. He wants to meet with us, he wants to work, he wants to speak, and it takes, again, all of us. I love this passage from Hebrews. This really changed my perspective on worship and gathering together. But the writer of Hebrews writing to a group of Jews who were considering leaving Christianity because of the persecution they they were experiencing. They're going to go back to the law of Moses, back to the synagogue, and back to these things because being a Christian is just too hard. Is it really worth it? He says this. Well, listen, you have not come to what may be touched, to a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. He's talking about the revelation of God at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And how incredible it was. Powerful and just frightening it was. It says, for they, the people who had this revelation, could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was this sight that Moses... The one who talked face to face with God says, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion. Now, what we normally do with this passage is like, "Ah, grace, it's much more safer here. That's not what he's saying. He's actually saying the exact opposite. You think that was awesome and terrifying? No, you church, you people, you Christians, followers of Jesus, the redeemed of the Lord, Have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels who are in festal clothing or costumes, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. To God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. What he's saying, church, is that when we gather together, we are not just going to a mountain that can't be touched. We are in the presence of the living God, the angel's the saints that have gone before us are watching. We are entering into worship with them to Jesus, whose blood speaks better things than Abel. Do not miss this. Do not let this moment to meet with the living God and to experience his presence and power pass you by. Come prepared. Annie Dillard who, uh, just one of my favorite writers, uh, she talked about um, just the church and like how apathetic Christians are. And she was talking about, she went to a very dead Orthodox church. But she says this, on the whole, I do not find Christians outside the catacombs sufficiently sensible of the conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? It is madness to wear a lady's straw hat or velvet hat to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. <laughs> Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares, and they should lash us to our pews, for the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. Lord, may it be so that he would draw us out to where we can never return, that God would do a work in our midst and we can't go back because the the spirit has done a powerful work of restoration, of healing, of a new direction and a new vision for our lives from the Lord. Isn't this what we want? Isn't this what we find in the pages of scripture? That God speaks, he acts, he works, and he moves in the midst of his church. And so when we gather together, we should come prepared with expectancy to encounter the living God, trusting that our God will be present to work, to speak, to heal, to bind up, to save, to convict, to rebuke, to comfort, and he is going to use us to do it. He's going to use us. So how do we do that? Fascinating. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God and Father, excuse me, to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul again in Colossians, let the message about the Messiah dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. You teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whether it is in word, or it's indeed the spiritual gift categories from Peter, right? First Peter chapter 4. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Fascinating, I said, right? If you take a survey of the Bible, especially the New Testament, you see the Spirit of God often moves in response to or within singing, praises, and thanksgiving. Just quickly, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church at Pentecost as they are praying and seeking God. Again, in Acts 4, as they prayed, they were filled with the Spirit. Multiple times, Luke records movings of the Spirit during the Jewish set hours of prayer and worship. He highlights these. When Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, he says it was the hour of prayer. And then he tells us about the miracle that happened of the healing of the lame man. In Acts 16, 25, Paul and Silas, remember this story, are in jail in Philippi. What happens? They were singing at about midnight hymns of praise to God. And the jail in which they were in shook with such a mighty shaking that the doors fell off and the chains broke open. A miracle occurred. And the end result of this miracle was that the jailer was converted and the whole of his household. Again, in Acts 13, I read this when we began. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and he lists a group of these people that are meeting together. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In these instances, prayer and worship mystically create a platform for the spirit to come and speak prophetically and move powerfully. In Acts 2.42, that's where we get the list of what we do in the church. You know, we teach the apostles doctrine, we break bread, there's prayer and there's fellowship. But it also says that awe came upon every soul of the church. And awe is always associated with the manifest presence of God and a demonstration of God's power in signs and wonders. And that's what Luke records there. That's what happened. It wasn't just that they got this like, list of what to do when they gather, but that as they had this list and they did those things and met regularly, the Holy Spirit manifest his presence. He erupted. He interrupted what they were doing and he healed and he touched lives and he restored and he spoke vision and direction to the church. These passages should cause us, the church, then to give space in our gatherings to listen to the Lord and to see what he might say, what he might show, what he might do in our midst. Tim Dearborn, he wrote a book called Emerging Church, The Old Church May New. He says worship is a dramatic encounter with the power of God rather than a passive and comforting moment of education and encouragement. It is that. We sing songs of truth. And we, we do testify to one another. Holy, 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 holy. Right? We're doing that. We're telling one another the wonders of God. But it's more than that. It is to be an encounter with the spirit of God himself. An encounter with the power of God. I just listened to a podcast this week. Um, and I mentioned this last week when we were talking about uh, manifestations of healing from the spirit. A guy named... Um, Greg Kinnear or Craig Kinnear? I know there's an actor called Greg Kinnear too, so that's not what I'm referring to. Um, he wrote a two volume work, it's a thousand pages long, on miracles currently happening in the world. Well documented miracles that have happened. And we said this last week our God is the God who heals it's not just a thing that happened long ago in the New Testament church and ceased with the apostles because the kingdom of God was it arrived with Jesus and you think he's just like just a little taster see on the other side alright I'm out No, it's here. It is among us. It's the overlapping of the ages. The kingdom of God is here, Jesus said. And so we should expect eruptions, interruptions of God's kingdom work to move in the world. And they do. They absolutely do. And again, this brings us back to that expectation and that preparation when we come together. Worship is a dramatic encounter with the power of God. So then. How do we do this? Well, it says that the Holy Spirit moves through our worship. Now, I believe there are ministries, visions, empowerings, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, tongues, gifts of faith. I believe there is discernment that the Lord wants to give, there is vision for missions, church planting, um, missionary endeavors. Evangelism, outreach, healings, blessings, prophecy, and the list goes on that the Lord wants to do here at Refuge. But I believe that will only happen as we come together with preparation and expectation and we intentionally make room in our gatherings together for the Spirit to speak and move through us. Interesting, a number, actually probably about a year and a half ago, I read Acts 13, and I was moved, I believe, by the Holy Spirit to implement this. As they ministered to the Lord, the Spirit spoke. I thought, fascinating. Who would have thought? As we minister to the Lord, the Holy Spirit speaks. He moves within the praises of God. And so what I did is I got together our leadership and our deacons, our elders, and just people who are um, serving, actively serving and and seeking the Lord. And and I just wanted to get together and, and do this. Just seek the Lord together. And... It was really beautiful because, you know, the first time I come all prepared, right? Like, okay, you know, I got to give some structure to this thing because I don't just want it to be crazy and people to be like, okay, why did we come out? You know, what are we doing here? I just want to be like, just be quiet and let's see what happens, you know? So I came prepared. I did all, you know, share the vision, everything. And so then the next week I got that same heart, share the vision again, do this. And I had nothing. I'm like, nothing, 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 nothing. And so I'm embarrassed. Hey, guys, I don't have anything. I've just been so busy. I'm feeling, you know, just spiritually dry myself. Does anybody have just something that the Lord's been ministering to them? And it was beautiful. Uh, Luis actually shared uh, Psalm 63. And what we did is we just all turned to Psalm 63. We read it aloud together. And then we just went around the room and we just shared how that touched our hearts or how it challenged us and there's this one line in there um, your steadfast love is better than life and I think every one of us were like I don't believe that like I I hear that and and, and I want to believe that but in my heart I'm not really living that way like God's love is better than life and it was just this beautiful time of confession it was a beautiful time of just digging into scripture and just receiving encouragement from one another guess what had nothing to do with me The pastor, the teacher, had nothing to do with me. But it was as we gathered and just made place for others to speak and share what the Lord was telling them or ministering to them, the Holy Spirit spoke and ministered to all of us. See, I think that's what the Lord wants to do. And he does do that as we meet up for coffees, we meet up for Bible studies, men's and women's fellowship, and we do these things. But what does he want to do when we gather on a Sunday morning? How would he like to speak to the whole of us through a word of encouragement? A hymn, a psalm, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. I think the Lord has more. And so this is what we're going to start doing, actually, starting now. Um, We're going to change the order of our church service just a little bit. Um, And this is kind of how we've done it in the past. We set aside the first part of our service to minister to God. God. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the the service here is actually very intentional. We sing songs about God. This is who he is. This is what he's done. This is how great he is. This is how big his grace is. This is how big his love is. Come and receive his love and mercy. Come to the throne of grace. It's an invitation. We sing forth the goodness and praises of God. We sing it to one another. We minister and worship God. That's intentional. It gets our hearts open, soft, brings down the walls so we can do step two, which is God ministers to us in devotional exposition of his word through preaching and teaching. We remind ourselves of who he is and what he's done of his father heart for us so we can receive his words of correction that sometimes hurt, sometimes are hard, heavy, truthful words that we need to hear desperately. This is very intentional, again, the way we do this. And then what we've often done is just, again, we respond in worship, right? We take the bread and the cup together. We want to remember the life and death and resurrection of Jesus for us. We want to remember that he's coming again, and we want to respond to the word. But what we're going to change now, though, is that this is also going to be time, as we worship the Lord, that we minister to one another through praying for one another, confessing to one another, encouraging one another with, like Ephesians and Colossians say, a song, a hymn, a scripture, a spiritual song. I don't know what that is, but yeah, it's something, right? Maybe we'll figure it out. (laughs) Um, But we're going to set time aside in our responsive worship to minister to one another. And this is what we're going to do this morning. I'm actually going to put the mic down here, and I'm going to do something crazy I'm going to invite anybody up, yeah, people are like, oh gosh, I'm going to invite anybody up who has a scripture, a psalm, uh, just a word of encouragement. Maybe you didn't even know, but God has already put a scripture on your heart this morning, and you don't know why. Maybe it's it's not for you, so you don't get it, but there's just a scripture that's on your heart. Maybe it's for someone else, and so... There's going to be a mic up here, and you can share that. Maybe the Lord has given you a specific word for someone. Well, great. This is the opportunity for you to get up out of your seat, walk across the room, and tell that person that word. Whether it is a scripture, it is a word of encouragement, a word of affirmation. Maybe you need to do the work of reconciliation this morning. There is someone that you are harboring bitterness towards, or they are harboring bitterness towards you, and you need to do that work of reconciliation because that's what Jesus has done for us. So, this is what we're gonna do. Let me just kinda go through all the possibilities. It may be a scripture, I said this already, Maybe a scripture or a prayer that brings encouragement. It might be a praise or thanksgiving, a hymn or a psalm. It might be a word of exhortation or affirmation for someone in particular or all in general. It might be a vision. A word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a tongue with an interpretation. But here's the deal. Don't be afraid to speak if you feel the Spirit leading you. Here's also the deal. God doesn't have to do anything. This is not some kind of ultimatum like, okay, here we are, God, and now we've all, we're we prepared, we're here, so now you do your thing. You do it right now. God does what he wants, and we are totally okay with that. And so if there's nothing but we just had a great time just saying like, hey, Lord, here we are, then great. We're learning how to better surrender and be open to the Spirit. And maybe even just to sit quietly before God, because sometimes that's super awkward too, right? Just to leave empty space to just be with our thoughts in the presence of God and the presence of his people.